Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast, where we discuss all things GRC. Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast. Uh, today we'll be talking about internal dispute resolution with Carol Ferguson and Naomi Burley. Uh, this is a two-part podcast, so this is part A, and apologies for the variable sound quality, but it's just one of those challenges that we have faced in the working from home. Enjoy. Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast. My name is Kwame Slesher. I'm the editor of the GRC Professional Magazine. And once again, we have Carol Ferguson, who is our regulatory expert. Hi, Carol. Hello. How are you, Kwame? I'm not too bad. And we have our managing director, Naomi Burley. Hi, Naomi. How are you doing? I'm good. Welcome, so, everyone. Yeah. So last week, you know, we obviously had a bit of a discussion about RG, RG274 on the distribution side. This week, we're going to be talking a bit about RG271 and internal dispute resolution, and maybe a tiny bit of the intersection with RG274. So Carol, why is this piece important? Um, look, I, since the Royal Commission, we've got a, um, a highly um, motivated client base. And this is reflected in the, in the figures that AFCA are producing. You know, since they've been set up, they've had 160,000 complaints, but in the last financial year, there was nearly 81,000 complaints. 70, just on 77,000 of those have been resolved. But interestingly, 60% of them were resolved within 60 days, which shows, you know, when you've got the, the, the to and fro of letters, et cetera, and phone calls and consideration of the facts that it took very little time for AFCAR to come to a resolution of these particular matter. 71% of them were resolved by agreement um, or in favour of the complainant. So it's a relatively high risk when an, um, a complaint goes to, to AFCA. But interestingly, $258.6 million of compensation and refunds were made. And of that, $170 million related to systemic issues. But the figure that was most concerning was it's only 1.9 out of 10 licensees. So there are some licensees out there who are bearing a disproportionate burden of AFCAR complaints and why, and generally it comes down to poor IDR processes. Mm. So ASIC's rewritten, um, uh, has put out a new guide um, on internal dispute resolution, which draws in, in the great um, main from their own on-site visits with with various licensees and, and a consideration of the processes that uh, licensees have been undertaking in relation to resolution of their clients. So that the first and foremost thing about um, 271 is the shortening of the time for resolution of, of complaints. So it used to be that a, um, for a financial services complaint other than super, you had 45 days to resolve or to communicate with the client. Now it's 30. Um, and for superannuation, it's dropped from 90 to 45. So that's, the timeframes are very short in order to get things moving along. Mm. Um, but, but also um, it requires in the main that you've got back to a client um, about this matter within 24 hours. So you, so it's a, you know, ASIC expects firms to provide acknowledgement of the complaint verbally or in writing, so email, post, social media, etc., within 21, 24 hours of receiving it, or as soon as 
as practicable. Now, note that's not an enforceable requirement, mm. but it does indicate that ASIC has extremely high standards for firms in the way that they they deal with the complaints that are being made. Yeah, and that's um, that wouldn't be a common experience uh, to have a system set up to respond in under 24 hours, would it? I mean, you would be no, thinking no. sort of 48, yeah. 72. Yeah, it's, it's a very um, tough um, hurdle for, for very many people. And, and given that complaints now have been extended to complaints in social media, mm. it does require that firms have a more um, um, wholesome um, view of what the, the market is. So it's not just somebody ringing you or writing you a letter. It's somebody posting on LinkedIn or on, on you know, Twitter. Instagram yeah. or Twitter or whatever about their concerns about a particular firm. Now, if you have not got good um, monitoring systems to be able to pick up that kind of information, that can actually leave you with great a great deal of regulatory burden. Because, mm. mm. you know, they could, if they were in the know, they could tag relevant people in their posts to make sure that they were well aware <laughs> that the complaint, yeah, and, what and time the complaint had been made. <laughs> You know, it's a it's a big issue for, for firms to be able to have enough people or you know, to, to have employed people who do their their monitoring is, is a huge issue. And mm. and you know, say say for instance your CBA and you know, you would get mentioned in the press, in social media, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, every day and, and would be a huge number of issues that are being dealt with. So you know, it's not just that you're being mentioned, but it's you're being mentioned negatively. Mm. And so it means that somebody actually has to go through everything that's coming through as a post to make mm. certain that it's not, you know, could not be taken as a complaint. Mm. And I think I think back to your original point as well, then, then there's the doubling up on making sure that this isn't something that's already in your internal system if you have one as well, yeah. that it's not a double up and that it that you then transfer it into that system so that you can track that you've then resolved it within your 30 days or your 45 days as the regulator asks. Yeah. And and you know the problem is is that they've also got a broader you know in this broader definition of what can constitutes a complaint. It's whether um, a response is implicitly or explicitly um, expected. So the guide states at RG 271.30 that a response or resolution is explicitly expected if a consumer clearly requests it, but it's implicitly expected if the consumer raises the expression or dissatisfaction in a way that the client clearly um, reasonably expects the firm to respond or to take specific action. Mm. So I could be complaining about a particular matter and saying, I, you know, at the end of it, I wish CBA would sort this all out. Mm. Now, that would be taken to be um, an implicit um, expression because I'm just expressing it to the world. I'm not expressing it to CBA generally. So if I've written to them and said, you've done these things wrong, I want you to sort it out. That's mm. an express um, um, expectation that things need to be resolved. But it's the social media area that's going to be very difficult. Mm. So, you know, and they don't have to express, expressly state the word complaint or dispute or put their complaint in writing to trigger a financial firm's obligation to deal with the matter. So it could be, as an example, that somebody rings up a shock jock and talks about their specific case. Mm. And if you're not watching that kind of thing or your media 
um, um, team aren't watching that. You could miss that. And, and therein lies a, a specific problem. So, you know, it's, a, it's a, a problem that you need to be very careful about. So um, the guide um, lists what are complaints made by social media. So um, it's not employment-related um, complaints, so that's right, but all complaints made about a firm where where response is not indicated. But, you know, it's it's the expanded definition is a real problem. And mm. and so ASIC states that in their view, letters to the editor or complaints made during protests are unlikely to be covered by the expanded definition, but they don't say they are never mm. to be covered mm. by it. And therein um, lies the problem. Yeah, for instance, if they were complaining about something they believe was systemic, I, I dare say that ASIC would want yeah. to pick that up. Yeah. yeah, I have a and question. The other thing, sorry. Um, yes. sorry. So, in talking about the response, what constitutes a response exactly? Well, the first thing is that you have to, to provide the acknowledgement of the complaint, verbally or in writing, um, and you can use social media channels as that methodology within 24 hours of receiving it or as soon as practicable. So, you know, it may be that it takes a little longer for that information to filter to you through your media um, watch services. And and so, but as soon as you know about it, you actually have to get onto it and, and say, whomever it was that posted that, would they please contact us? Mm. I mean, it's just... It's no. not easy. No. It really isn't and I'm, easy. And I'm wondering, um, Carol, within this, it's always been one of those things that's been debated by members, you know, what constitutes a complaint when someone's complaining about something that they signed up for in the first place. They agreed to the conditions around it. They just don't like them now because they're inconvenient to them. That's still pulled into this, isn't it? You have to resolve that with the customer even when the customer's wrong. Look, the customer, if we say the customer's always right and start from that premise, I think is the best way of putting it. The PBS will set out the conditions of, of the particular product. And when the DDO obligations come in, that's going to be even stronger. So the, the PDS is going to say, do not go into this product as an example, if you're unemployed or you know, over the age of 80 or whatever, right? Um, or you have less than 100,000 in disposable cash assets. But having said that, people end up in products and, and the PDS says all the right stuff, but their advisor has missold it. And, and this is the sort of line of, of the investigation that needs to be undertaken is who is actually responsible? Is it actually the issuer or is it actually the distributor? And that's part of the process is to ascertain fault if necessary, where it aligns and, and perhaps then to, to determine What's the communications that have gone to particular client? What was in the FSO, SS, sorry, SOA? What was in the FSG? What was in the PDS? And, and in the welcome documentation? And what reasonable chance did the client get have to understand the product that they've been invested in? And look, I've given examples in various other podcasts, but it's fair to say that sometimes people go into a product and they're particularly happy with it until such times as the index for the particular product falls or, you know, the particular stock class fails to, to you know, deliver. And that's when they get unhappy. So that's... That marks what I hope is not a too abrupt end to part A. Look out next week for part B. 
This podcast was a production of the Governance Risk and Compliance Institute, and the music was produced by Rob Neary.